giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Will Larry, and with me today is Jamin Holmgren, co-founder and CTO of Infinite Red, a software consultant agency that specializes in React Native. Jamin, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So, Jamin, what's going on in your life? How is everything going? You know, things have been obviously very busy, like uh, I guess pretty much everybody. You know, school has started. I have four kids, so that keeps me quite busy going to various school events, going to volleyball, you know, bringing kids here and there, running the company. I have some side projects I'm doing. I'm playing hockey. So it just seems like uh, every waking hour is filled with something. (laughs) (laughs) I totally understand that. I have three kids of my own, so they're a little bit younger than yours. So mine is four, three, and like 17 months. So Okay, yeah. So you're just getting started and you're doing all of the like physical labor associated with being a parent. Yes, yes, yes. So I wanted to start there. Tell me a little bit about your kids. I know their ages are 10 to 18. Yeah, so I have a, a boy, Cedric. He's actually a programmer as well. Uh, he's just starting his career. He's the oldest. And then we have three girls. Uh, we have a 15-year-old who's a sophomore in high school. Uh, and then we have a 12-year-old who's in middle school and a 10-year-old who is in fifth grade in elementary school. And it's a lot. My wife and I both came from very large families, so we're kind of used to it. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of challenges at this age. I mean, teenagers, especially, you know, as they kind of all come into that same era, uh, it'll, you know, it's it's more of a challenge. I guess the thing that I think about it is a lot of the skills that I learned as a, a young kid parent don't really translate super well to being a teenager parent. And I'm having to learn a lot of new skills. And I actually talked to a guy the other day, his kids are, I think, 32 and 28 or something like that. And he said, yeah, the learning never stops. (laughs) So I'm going to ask you for the secret sauce because I'm still in that the temper tantrums and those type of emotions and stuff. So how is it different in the teenage years from the temper tantrums? Well, I think that they can act like adults in a lot of cases and you start thinking of them as adults and you start developing a relationship there, but their brains are also not fully developed. And so they will also do things that are very inexplicable. Like you'll just be like, why, why would this be a thing? Like, I don't get it. Like you act like an adult for half the time and then the other half you act like a kid navigating that and the fact that they change all the time and and all the other challenges, and they're all different. Like if we had only had one kid, you know, my boy was pretty easy. He was pretty straightforward. It would have been like, well, shoot, being a parent's pretty easy. Like, I don't know what everybody else is complaining about. Like he never did tantrums. He was just a really quiet, you know, like well-behaved kid and kind of went through life like that. But then obviously developing a relationship with him is more of the challenge because he's quieter where with my girls, it's easier to develop the relationship, but then you you deal with a lot more volatility as well. So they're all different. Every kid's different. It's hard to really apply that directly. I would say that the thing that I've learned the most in the last few years is just kind of continuing to be like even through some of the tougher times, uh, continuing to be there, continuing to develop that relationship. A lot of times it feels like you're not getting anywhere, but you are. It is actually happening. You just don't see it until later. I'm writing that down. That's great advice. (laughs) (laughs) 
You mentioned hockey. Tell me about. I've never played hockey. I grew up in the South, so we we didn't have that. So tell me about it. Like, and you're a goalie, also, correct? Yeah, I play goalie. I didn't discover hockey. I played basketball in high school. I played four years of high school basketball. I even played a little bit of college. And I didn't really discover hockey until I moved to Southwest Washington, uh, about an hour away from where I grew up in the coast of, of Oregon. When I got there, a lot of my friends that I made were playing hockey. And one friend in particular, he was a goalie. And he had grown up in upper Michigan. So, he, you know, like he grew up playing hockey. He was a very good skater and things like that. But there was one weekend I was coming to watch him play just rec hockey. And he's like, you know what? I can't make it. Would you want to jump in and like be my sub? And it was just a pickup game. So it wasn't like there was anything up on the line. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. You know, put on the gear. He showed me what to do to put on the gear. He kind of gave me some tips like in the living room where we were. He was like showing me how to play. We were like, I would say 19, I think 19 years old, something like that. Anyway, I show up and I put on the gear and I go out there and I actually had a decent game considering I barely knew how to skate and barely knew how to do anything. But I'm kind of big. I'm six foot four, almost six foot five. And having all that gear and everything, I filled up a lot of the net and it wasn't a very high level game. So I, I did pretty well. And after that, the team was like, well, we'd love to have you back. And then my friend really was not interested in continuing. So he was like, you can have it, like just roll with it. I kept playing for about three years and then, I don't know, I took over a decade off. The team dissolved. It wasn't even a league team. It was just, you know, pick up hockey. And then a friend called me and was like, hey, uh, I'm starting up a game. It's going to be Finnish Americans because I'm half Finnish myself. So it's going to be all Finnish Americans. We're going to call it the Suomi Poikas, which is the Finnish boys in sort of Finnish. It's not exactly supposed to be like that in Finnish. Anybody listening who's Finnish is going to be like, yeah, that's that's bad Finnish. But it kind of means Finnish boys or Finland boys. And we put together the team and I've been playing for the last three plus years. It's been kind of like a, a rec league team. We've won the championship four times, which is really fun. This year, I'm actually playing in two leagues. I'm playing in rec league and I'm also playing the next league up. So uh, a little bit faster, better skaters, better shooters, things like that. And I just love it. It's so much fun. Wow. That's amazing that you started later and that you're still playing it because when I look at hockey, I'm like, that's really hard. I don't know if I could do that. I, I can skate. I can't stop. Like I can get <laughs> a lot of speed, but it's just something about turning sideways and thinking I'm going to fly over the skates. And yeah, it's the whole thing. <laughs> um, is goalie harder than playing any of the other positions? I would say it's different. Like I don't have to be as good of a skater. You know, things like hockey stops are still not super natural for me. I don't skate backwards super fast. You know, I'm not a fast skater in general. But the difference is, of course, you have to be reading the, the the flow of the game. You have to know the body language of the players that are coming at you. You have to kind of see what's happening. At the end of the day, lots of things can happen. So you you try to put yourself in the best position. It's a lot of like positional, like where are you in the net? What does your position look like? And then once they shoot, how do you react? Are you dropping down? Are you staying up? Are you using your glove? Are you using your blocker? Are you just trying to block with your body, using your stick? Then once the puck hits you, then what do you do? How do you control the rebound? Are you trying to cover it up and ice the puck so they do a face-off? Are you trying to kick it out to one of your skaters? And then once that happens, you have a little bit of a rest, hopefully, while they're down on the other side. But you're continually alert 
and watching to see what's going to develop because it could be a breakaway. And then it's just you and the skater and trying to anticipate what they're doing and trying to make it so that they have to make a play, like just be big, be in position. Don't get out of position. Don't make a mistake. And I've had really great games where I've, you know, had 45 shots on me and I've only let one in or something like that. And I've had some bad games too. I, there's one game in a championship where uh, they only had six shots on me, but we ended up losing because I let in two. So that was not a fun game. I only had six opportunities and and I failed on two of them, but that happens. And so you, you, uh, you just have to be mentally tough. Wow. That's amazing. The limited knowledge of hockey, I'm going to assume here. So I hope it's right. With you being 6'4", six, 6'5", six, I'm guessing that the five hole, if I'm correct, was probably your toughest position to defend. You know, you would think so. Uh, and just for the audience, the five hole is like between your legs, Be you know, the puck going between your legs underneath. But I play a, a style, a little bit older style of goalie because that's what I watched, you know, in like the early 2000s. I watched Patrick Waugh of the Colorado Avalanche, one of the greatest goalies of all time. And he played what's called a butterfly style. So as the play develops, you're standing, but then you go down fairly early and you're protecting the bottom. You're, you have your stick in front of you, protecting the five hole, and you have your legs, you know, spread out. So I used my height really more for blocking as I'm down rather than standing. Because when I'm standing, I'm above the net. It's better for me to get down. And I think that that's worked out pretty well. You know, Patrick Waugh was a pretty big goalie as well. Uh, most modern goalies play a more hybrid style, but, you know, we could get into all that. I'm a big kind of hockey nerd in this way, but that's uh, that's what I do. I play butterfly. So most of the time people don't beat me five hole. When they do, it's usually they're picking a corner. Well, now that you painted the picture, I can see how that's smart because you do have the goal. I mean, the gloves plus the stick and then your height. Yeah, yeah I can see how that's smart. That's very right. smart. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the goal. And also because I wasn't a great skater, it sort of played into it as well. Playing down on the ice, I was just more comfortable that way. It's worked out. I've I've had a pretty decent record over my career here. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, let's transition a little bit into consultant agencies. You've been doing it for 18 years. Yeah. Tell me about that. How did you get started? Well, when I started, I was working construction. I was working for a home builder. And, you know, everybody I knew pretty much worked in construction, including my dad, who owned a, a business. And I went on my own. I had always dreamed of owning my own business, but I didn't start really thinking about websites. I, I was coding. I loved coding. I was coding since I was 12. So when I got to 23 years old, I thought I'll start a business and I'll do home design because that's what I was doing for the builder was I was drawing homes. I was designing homes and remodels and things like that. And so I started it doing that, but I also needed a little bit extra work. I didn't have enough work. Like I had people, you know, sending me work, you know, home design and whatnot, but I didn't have quite enough. So I, I would also build websites on the side, PHP and HTML, MySQL and JavaScript. And I just sort of continued to do that. But in 2008, there was the housing crisis and all of the design work for homes just dried up. There wasn't much there. In fact, it actually really dried up in 2007 because things kind of started a little early for designers. And so I was like, I got to do something to stay busy. I've got a wife. I've got a, a young kid. Uh, I actually had, at that point had two kids and I need to make sure that I'm staying busy. And so I really ramped up trying to find work, you know, as a programmer, as a web developer. And there were plenty of uh, companies at that time who were really trying to drum up business. So they were 
putting money into their websites, trying to get new projects. And they were, they were all construction companies. And so that's how I started. And I started doing more things like internal web apps for managing orders and managing sales leads and that sort of thing. And that led me into web apps and eventually to Ruby on Rails, which became sort of my bread and butter for a while. As I was doing Ruby on Rails, then, the, you know, obviously the iPhone was out, but the iPad came out and I was more of an Android guy at that point. But I bought an iPad because it looked really cool. And my dad had one. When I started playing around with it, I'm like, I need to build apps for this. This is super cool. So I took some Stanford courses online, uh, which you could do back in those days, iTunes U, and learned how to use Objective-C. This was previous to automatic reference counting and stuff. So you had to manage your own memory. This was a lot of manual work. Very different environment than JavaScript and PHP and Ruby. But I actually enjoyed it quite a bit and then eventually transitioned into uh, React Native later. But really getting over to mobile and and that sort of thing was once I found mobile, I really didn't want to do web anymore. Mobile is what I really enjoyed doing. Wow. I love that. If I'm following you correctly, you said in 2007, that's kind of when everything dried up. So you're almost forced to find something different, correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I kind of sat around feeling sorry for myself for a while. And then I was like, well, it's my business. I got to figure out what to do. It's not, it's not anybody else's fault. Like, you know, it doesn't matter that this is forces out of my control. I do have control. I I have the ability to go in there and figure out, okay, what do I do next? Well, I know how to program and it seems like people want me to program. So let's lean into that. Wow. I love that because it's funny. That's how I got started in programming. I lost my job and I was working at Buckle, the clothing store. If you know me, that is not me at all. Like <laughs> at all. <laughs> I love gym shorts and athletic clothes. Right. Like fashion is not my thing. Yeah. It's just not. So yeah. I got into programming because I was just struggling. And it was a very pivotal moment in my life. And I'm thankful for it that I I lost my job. Losing your job is just hard. And oh, I think it yeah. makes you rethink things. Yeah, absolutely. It was a growth moment for me as well. One of many, but that was definitely a, a point that I look back on and say, I mean, because I can, I can actually point at almost the day when it all dried up. It was like April 2007. And my uncle had been sending me a lot of work. You know, he had extra work. He didn't have barely enough for himself anymore at that point. And I finished up my last project and he's like, I don't have anything else. And uh, I had some other clients as well and call them up and they're like, no, nope, we don't have anything like nobody's buying right now. And it just kept going like that. And it was weird because 2005, 2006, most of 2007, it felt like things were really rolling, but it just dried up all at once. And so I was really lucky that I I did end up getting a bunch of uh, web work to do in 2008. I was still doing home design till probably 2000, late 2008, 2009. But then I eventually just hung that up and was like, okay, this is over. I'm definitely focusing on programming. Wow. How was the initial traction when you moved into ramping up the web development? It was really good because I it didn't take much to keep me busy. And I, I ended up getting some big contracts from like a cabinet manufacturer was a big one. I did some other things as well. And I ended up hiring my first employees in 2009. So really less than two years later, I was starting to hire employees. And and I just hired like junior developers who had barely learned to code and taught them to code. So I hired probably over the years, next few years, like 10 programmers, many of whom are actually still with me today that I taught them to code back in the day. 
And uh, as time went on, uh, they became senior and really high-level programmers who are now leading projects for big companies that you've heard of. But they started with me building, you know, PHP and and MySQL and whatnot for small, like regional construction companies, and and we learned together. So it was definitely a progression. You can go look back and see. Yeah, I saw a tweet that you tweeted. And I loved it because I <laughs> I totally understand. And so I'm glad you mentioned the junior devs and stuff. Uh, the tweet w- that I'm talking about was, I got into this industry to code, ended up being, becoming a founder because I was the only person who would hire me. I want to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, it's really that I grew up in a small logging town, like very tiny logging town in Northwest Oregon. I didn't know. I knew one programmer. And the guy was like an incredible genius. And I just thought that that was the only way that you could professionally be a programmer was to be an incredible genius. I was coding, but I was like coding games, you know, in QBasic. And so for me, every time I look around, it was just like construction or logging or, you know, blue collar, like working at a mill. Like these were the things that I saw around me. And so that was the path I went. And I didn't really think of using this passion that I had for coding to turn it into like actual money. And and when I did start thinking about it, I was like, I don't know anybody who's who does software. Like I even when I moved to Southwest Washington, I was closer to Portland. But I thought you had to have a CS degree. I didn't have a CS degree. So I was like, okay, well, I'll start my own business then. And that will be the thing that kind of leads me into tech. And that's what ended up happening. And it's it's kind of funny because I did go to to you know one semester of community college uh, for basketball and and for uh, until I got cut. And then I studied some things there, but I'd never finished for the the community college. What's kind of cool, though, is today I'm actually on their like tech advisory committee. Like they, they actually have me advising their professors on this current state of tech, which is kind of cool. Wow, that is really cool. It's interesting because I remember when I first started out and that feeling of probably over 300 applications just trying to get a job. And it was just hard. And my first job, to be honest, I think it was because of networking is why I got the job. If I didn't know the person that introduced me to the company, I probably wouldn't have gotten the job if I'm being honest. Yeah. But I am very sympathetic for junior devs. Anytime. If a junior dev asks me a question, I will take time, help them out. Because I remember it's very hard as a junior dev trying to get that first job. So when you said that, I was like, yeah, I could see your heart towards junior devs. Absolutely. That's where I started. That You know, the, the first developers that I hired were all juniors. We don't hire juniors anymore uh, because of the style of business that we are. But I miss that. I miss that to some degree. We really can't. We've we've looked at it from just about every angle. But I did. I did my time. I <laughs> I, I spent a lot of hours teaching junior developers when I could have done it quicker myself. Definitely. Like you end up losing some money when you do a junior dev and you're hiring for the future. So yeah. like, in a consultant agency, I totally understand that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Now that you have funding, it's time to design, build, and ship the most impactful MVP that wows customers now and can scale in the future. ThoughtBot Liftoff brings you the most reliable, cross-functional team of product experts to mitigate risk and set you up for long-term success. As your trusted, experienced technical partner, 
We'll help launch your new product and guide you into a future forward business that takes advantage of today's new technologies and agile best practices. Make the right decisions for tomorrow, today. Get in touch at thoughtbot.com slash liftoff. So I want to ask you about the transition from ClearSight Studio to Infinite Red. How did that happen? ClearSight was my first company and it sort of evolved from being a, a you know a home design slash website company to just a website and web app company and then mobile apps. And at a certain time, we had, I think around 12 employees, something like that. I had a design department. We were building websites and whatnot. And I was really interested in iOS development. That was really my passion. And so I actually ended up working on some open source with iOS developers across the globe and then got invited to a conference down in San Francisco in 2014. And I went and and gave a talk there. It was my first tech conference that I'd ever been to, much less given a talk. And I was the first talk. So that was kind of an interesting little anecdote there. And, And as I did it, I got to know some other developers I had uh, one in particular, Todd Worth, who I really hit it off with, and we ended up chatting a lot after the conference, and it felt like he and I had a very similar outlook, and he had a an iOS ag- agency. That's all they did. Well, 2015 rolls around, and I had had some rough times toward the end of 2014 in terms of the business, and I was kind of complaining to Todd. He had had some issues as well, and we started commiserating. He's like, you know, he's just started joking. I still have this conversation in Slack way back if I go go look. And he he's like, well, maybe we should just merge our businesses together because it felt like we had maybe complementary skills and we had a similar outlook on how what we wanted from our businesses. And so we ended up eventually solidifying that. I flew down there, talked to him and his business partner, Ken, at the time. We ended up making that happen later that year. So just a few days ago, October 1st, was our eighth anniversary uh, running the companies, uh, run, running the new company, the, the merged company, which is Infinite Red. So that was kind of how that all came together. Uh, eventually, Ken left and we had a new business partner who was our top employee buy-in. That's uh, Gantt Laborde. And so there's still three owners. Uh, we have three directors and then the rest of the team, we're about 30 people all together and we focus entirely on React Native. Wow. Congratulations on eight years. That's a lot. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. I was just thinking the other day that I ran ClearSight for 10 years. Infinite Red is getting close to how long I ran my first business. And like my youngest is, like I said, 10. So she was only two years old when I merged the company. She does not remember my old company, which is weird to me. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So can you walk me through your decision to go pure React Native and specialize in that? Because that's it sounds like right around the time where React Native was created and people started using it in a production. That's right. The iOS technology that that we had sort of bonded over at that conference was called RubyMotion. But in 2015, it was the founder ended up going to work for Microsoft for a while and then went back to Apple. He had been from Apple before. So it was sort of going down and we were looking for a different technology. Both of our companies were, and then of course the merge company. React Native looked interesting, but it didn't have an, an Android version yet. But then in September of 2015, Android came out. So it was iOS and Android. So we were able to take a look at that one month before we ended up solidifying the actual merger. So basically day one, October 1st, 2015, we were like, we are now doing React Native for mobile. But we kept doing web, we kept doing Ruby on Rails. We did some Elixir, we did some Elm, we did some 
I think we had some, uh, some old Ember stuff going on. We had all kinds of things going on. But over time, we got more and more traction with React Native because that's really where our interest was. And so we ended up saying, okay, well, this is where we really want to be. It took us a few years. It took us probably five years, six years, something like that to really develop the confidence that, hey, this is all we want to do because it's a risk. Like you put yourself on one technology. We had that before with the other technology that went down. But we had the confidence that we knew we could step off of a sinking ship onto another one if we needed to. So we said, you know what, let's do this. And I got to give my co-founder, Todd, a lot of credit because he was the first one to say, let's go all React Native. Anywhere that React Native is, React Native is on a lot of different platforms. You can do tvOS, you can do Mac, you can do Windows, you can do web with React Native web, all kinds of things. So let's just focus on React Native. Our team will just focus on that. We will only hire React Native developers all of our marketing is going to be around React Native. Let's just focus on that. And it ended up being a great call. We did that. We made that happen. And for probably the last, I would say, three, four years, something like that, that's all we've been doing. So what's your opinion on, I guess, the argument that's being had right now with native iOS and Android, even the Flutter, and I think Iconic is the other one that I've heard of versus React Native? What's your pitch on React Native over those? There's definitely reasons to use any of those, but I wrote this article a while back. It was specifically about Flutter, but I think it applies to a lot of the other competitors as well. The title of the the article was provocatively titled, Flutter is better than React Native in all the ways that don't matter. And the idea behind this is that, yes, Flutter gets a lot of things very right. A lot of their developer experience is actually better than React Native. Some is worse, but some, some is better. But... Really, when it comes down to it, the things that matter are more business level. React Native is good enough. It's like native views. So you have the native performance. With Hermes, uh, you have really good performance in JavaScript. So you know that you can get really high level JavaScript performance. You can ship JavaScript, which really helps because then you can bring in JavaScript developers and specifically React developers. So a lot of companies already use React. It's a no-brainer to then use React Native if you're already using React Web. It doesn't really make sense to go to Flutter. It makes maybe some sense to write it in Native, but then you have to write it twice and you have three teams. You have a web team, you have an iOS team, and you have an Android team. And you also have three code bases and one's always lagging behind. That's always what's happening. Marketing's like, okay, when can we announce this? Well, iOS isn't done or Android's not done or web's not done. Where if you can combine all of those things and combine the just the culture of your team then becomes more tight-knit because everybody's working on all aspects at one time. You can take a feature and you can build it in web and you can build it in iOS and you can build it in Android with all the same skills. Now, there are some deeper parts of React Native. It goes really deep. But in terms of just being productive out of the gate, a React developer can be productive in week one. And that's, I think, a huge deal. So it really comes down to is the performance and developer experience good enough? And the answer is absolutely yes. And then secondly, like what's the business case for React Native? Well, you can have the same developers doing iOS, Android, and web. And even if you don't, you can share techniques. You can be like, hey, here's this cool JavaScript thing. And the Kotlin developers aren't just like, uh, you know, JavaScript. Or you can be like, hey, here's our TypeScript configuration across the whole code base. You can even have a monorepo with everything in it. It just makes a lot of sense that way. And especially now with Expo, uh, it makes it even more that way because Expo removes a lot of the barriers for 
web developers that they would have coming into native. So with that in mind, I still see React Native dominating the apps that are at the top of the app store. One of the Expo developers, Evan Bacon, has put out a bunch of tweets about, you know, like 24 out of the top 100 food and drink apps are written in React Native as opposed to eight in all the other options combined other than native, you know. So it gives uh, it gives a good sense that, that React Native is still growing and, and continuing to, ha- has a lot of steam behind it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm a big React Native fan and that's I do a lot of React Native work here. So yes, totally agree with you. And one one of the most frustrating things that I've come across is I'm a big researcher and so I'll research things and I'm like, oh, there's an app for this. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big Android fan. So mm-hmm. when I go to them, it's like, oh yes, I can use this app. And then it's like, no, I can't. It's only right. for iOS. Okay. Like you lost me as a customer. I was willing to pay <laughs> whatever on this because I've been looking for it. So yeah, I like how you said that. Yeah. It treats all of the platforms as first-class citizens. Yes, 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 yes. Totally agree. How does your company handle the backend? Do y'all do any of the backend or how does that handle at Infinite Red? We used to do that, like I mentioned, but uh, a few years ago, we just, we had a, a very, very small backend team by then. Most of the time, and now pretty much 100% of the time, when someone comes to us, they already have a backend team. So we work directly with them. A lot of our developers were backend developers, and so they understand the backend really well, but they're obviously React Native specialists now. So, you know, I came from that. I did PHP, I did Ruby, Ruby on Rails, Elixir. Uh, Node, all kinds of backend technology. So I understand it really well as well. But yeah, we we lean on our clients for that. Uh, we might partner with an agency like you folks over there at ThoughtBot and uh, have them do the the backend, or just have the the client you know come up with their own solution. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and we've done that with numerous agencies. So yeah, that's awesome. What does success look like for Infinite Red now versus you know six months or five years from now? What do y'all have any goals in mind that y'all are trying to hit? In the Infinite Red leadership, we are currently reading John Maxwell's 21 Indisputable Laws of Leadership, which is a, a good book. And we had this really great conversation at our first book club meeting in leadership, which John Maxwell defines success in a very different way than we do. You know, he measured it as like McDonald's or Starbucks or something like that, like giant, becoming huge, becoming big, making tons of money. And it was sort of just implicit in the book that that was the case. We had this great talk internally. Why didn't this resonate with us? And that's because we don't really measure success that way. So I love that. I love that question, Will, because measuring success is you really have to start there. Like you have to start there and say, what do we want from this? So ultimately we want to build cool things with our friends. I'm a coding nerd. I want to code. I want to be in the code. That's why we're an agency. Like if we were a product company, if we were building, I don't know, podcasting software or something, we'd have to become experts in podcasting rather than experts in React Native or experts in TypeScript or whatever we want to do. So we really love code. We want to build that. We want to have an amazing family first environment. We want to treat everybody super well. We want to have really low turnover, which we've been able to achieve. Hardly anybody leaves infinite red. Maybe every other year we might lose one person. And even with those people, they tend to come back, (laughs) which is a great sign. 
they go out and find out that, yeah, actually Infinite Red's pretty awesome and they come back. So we really look for that. We really focus on that. We want that to happen. And it's really less about making the most money we can. Obviously, everybody wants to be well paid. And so we're going to try to make sure we have a successful business in that way and that we want to be around for a long time. But really measuring success it's less about business success and it, it's more about life success. It's really more about family success, being with my four kids, being there for them when, when they need me to be. That's why we're remote, you know, as another example. So uh, everything really hinges off of that. It's around happiness. It's around fulfillment. It's not around financial success. I'm a huge John Maxwell fan, by the way. So <laughs> I, yes, go. I love it. And I, I love how you explain, you know, because one of my questions I was going to ask you is about the core values, but I'm going to switch it up a little bit. So I'm just going to say, in my opinion, I feel like there's almost leadership talk void at times, especially in the tech space. Like we don't talk about leadership a lot, but it plays a huge part in what we do day to day. Like you named a couple core values and principles that you're following because of the leadership. So for you, why is the leadership so important? And I guess you can say, have a seat at the table at Infinite. I'm a strong believer and I've become more of a strong believer over time that it all starts at the top. If you don't have buy-in from your top leadership, it does not really matter what happens otherwise because they will continually undermine and they have the power to continually undermine that. So these core values have to apply to the top leaders. They have to be held accountable to that. And these leaders also need to be developed. So we have three owners, we have three directors. And the three directors who are underneath us were not directors when we hired them. You know, they started out as developers. They started out as designers. They started out as project managers. But they became director of operations, director of engineering, director of communications, and we developed them. We poured a lot of time into them, and we continue to do that. In fact, even reading this book with them and going through that exercise is continuing to invest in them. Not that we as owners don't have growth to do. We also do. And so we learn from them, and we learn from our team. So you have to start there. And on the, that same vein, we do have some core values. We call them our foundation and our pillars. We have three foundational things and we have four pillars. So the three foundations are one, we control our own destiny. We are not going to be beholden to some other company. We're not going to ride someone else's coattails. We're not going to be in a situation where someone else can kill us. And it can be easily done that way where we're in a position where, you know, we're too reliant on one whale client or something like that. We just won't do it. The second foundational thing is that we have it's a word bonitas, which means kindness, friendliness, benevolence, blamelessness. And it's basically just being a good person to everybody and doing the right thing. And the third one is having a significant positive impact. That's why we do so much media. That's why we try to have an impact outside. And we're only 30 people, but people think we're way bigger because of how we kind of present ourselves in the world. And then our pillars all support those things. So high personal support. We support each other. We have high expectations, but we also support each other, not just at work, but also as a whole person. Long-term viewpoint, we think way beyond this year. We think about what is Infinite Red going to be when I retire? You know, I'm 41. That's a ways out, hopefully. But what's that going to look like? The next one is collaborative creativity. Creativity by yourself, 
is just a solo thing. We're a team, so it has to be collaborative. We have to do it together. All our creative work, whether it's our conference, Chain React, or our work, it's all collaborative and we we love being creative. And the last thing is being pioneers, pioneering spirit. We like to be pioneers in technology. We put out a lot of open source and we try to bring that pioneering spirit everywhere we go. And then there's a lot of different things that kind of come out of that. For example, we have this internal saying, which is don't do hard things alone. So you have a hard thing coming up and it can be hard in various ways. It could be a technically challenging thing. Could just be hard because of the mood you're in that day. But don't do it alone. Ask someone to help you, you know, jump in with you, pair with you, do it together. And we love that. That's part of the high personal support and the bonitas. So all these things come out of the foundation and pillars that we have. Wow. I love all those. I'm going to, I want to pick one of them out and ask you a question around it. So you're talking about the, having an impact. I'm loving this conversation. Just talking to you has just been amazing. So for you, what do you want the impact on the world to be from your perspective? That's a hard question to answer, and it tends to be something that I, I think about a lot. I'm more of a, a opportunistic person. I react more than I plan ahead, that sort of thing. But with that said, I think that we have had significant positive impact through a lot of different ways. Uh, so on Twitter, for example, I try to present a, and, and this is authentically who I am, but I try to present a positive force out there someone who's excited and enthusiastic about the technology, who supports other people, even who you might consider competitors, for example. I just retweeted uh, recently a call stack thing. They are, I mean, you might consider them a competitor. They're another React Native agency, but I love call stack. They're great people. And I retweeted one of their really amazing resources, which is the ultimate guide to React Native performance, which by the way, is really good. And if you do React Native, you should check it out. So I think what goes around comes around and I really want to have that positive impact out there. I want to give talks that inspire people. You know, I'm a nerd and I'm going to, I'm going to nerd out about stuff. And I feel like that has an impact all of its own. So that's kind of my personal side of it. And then infinite red is a showcase that you can run a company the right way. You can treat people the right way and the company can be successful along our own metrics of success. Wow. So one of my biggest principles that I've learned in life that's changed my leadership a hundred thousand percent is uh, from this book called One Minute Manager. And it's I think it's called One Minute Praise. And essentially the the background behind it is if you think something, just tell the person because so many times and I get in my head and I think amazing things about people, but I never say it. So <laughs> I want to just tell you like you said the impact that you're making, you are doing that. Like I, one of the reasons why I invited you on the show was because of your impact that I see that you're having on Twitter and LinkedIn and just everything that you're doing at Infinite Red. So keep going. I want you to know that you are making a difference. I see you and it's making a big difference in my life. I love that. It makes me feel great. And I appreciate <laughs> you sharing that one minute praise there. It is something that Sometimes you put it out there and you don't really know what the impact is. You know, it's it's sort of hidden in the maybe the likes or the the replies or whatever. As an example, I just reached out to my friend Aaron Francis last night and I told him, "Hey, I love your videos. I don't even do the tech that he does, but I watch his videos on YouTube because I just love the vibe that he has." And I told him that. I was like, "You you're doing a great job. You're you're being a very good advocate for your company." 
Uh, and I agree with you. I think that just taking the moment to reach out and say, Hey, I think you're doing a good work. It encourages people to do more of it. So I appreciate it a lot. Will. that's, that's really nice of you to say. Yeah, definitely. If you can go back, what is some advice that you would give yourself? We could do both of them at the beginning when you did ClearSight and whenever you merged and did Infinite Red. Was there any advice that you like, wow, I learned these lessons and they were game changers for me? <laughs> Boy, this could be a whole nother podcast, to be honest. There's so many different things that I've kind of learned over the years. I feel like, you know, there's value in, you know, I, there was actually, a, I forget exactly where I heard this, but it was about Cloudflare, the company. And a long time ago, the, you know, as they were sort of launching, uh, one of the people that worked on the, I think it was their founder, actually, uh, one of their investors told him, hey, running a company is sort of like flying an airplane. You want to make sure that it's well-maintained at all times. And then when you're flying, you keep the wheel steady and the nose 10 degrees above the horizon. So you continue to rise. You don't need to shoot for the moon. We're not a rocket here. Just continue to execute well. Make sure that it's well-maintained. Make sure that you're continually rising. And Cloudflare is a good example of this. And I think that Infinite Red is as well. Every year we try to do something where we're continuing to keep that nose 10% above the horizon. That doesn't always mean growing. Like we don't hire all that often. We don't grow in terms of headcount, but we grow in other ways. And you can see that looking back over the years, every year there was something that we continued to you know, improve, keeping that nose 10 degrees above the horizon. And so that's a big one. And you can just go do all the little things really well and continue to think long-term and where you're headed. And if you do the right things long enough, good things happen. I love that. Because Especially when I'm working out, I try to shoot for the moon. I <laughs> go all out. So that was a some amazing advice. I don't even remember who told me, but when I first started programming, I tried to shoot for the moon and oh, I crashed and burned so many times because yeah. it's just something you just you can't just master it and just like I got it, da da da. And I love that advice. That's some amazing advice. So that's perfect. Yeah, it, it, it really stuck with me. And I have so many more lessons. I've actually kept a notebook of profound things that I've heard over the years. And I actually really enjoy that minute praise thing you you said. And I'm going to I'm going to look up the quote after this and I'm going to put it in my notebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been a game changer because I I'm a very straightforward person. And so a lot of times like I don't mind addressing an issue just head on. Yeah. But what I found is I'm just always doing that. And I I never had equity in the bank at times. This is when I was a very yeah. young leader. I didn't have equity. And so it was just hard to tell people, hey, can we tweak this? Can we do that? And then I had to sit back and say, okay, what can I change to be a better leader? And it's like, I can connect better. And I see yeah. so many things. Like I'm very observant, I think. To be honest, it's helped me in every area, even with my spouse, with my kids, yeah. with friends. It's just saying, hey, I see what you did. I I see that you made breakfast or my kids. I see that you you made this beautiful mud pie for me and it's amazing. So thank you. Thank you. And so, yeah, it's been a game changer for me. Yeah. One of my friends, his goal, with, and he's a leader. Uh, and he said that his goal with every one-on-one -on -one was to give them one thing to change 
and highlight one thing they did well. Like you said, equity in the bank. He was talking about when he was a leader of like a call bank and he said, no matter how bad the call was, I wouldn't give them more than two things to improve because there's no way that they could take 10 critiques and improve. They would just be defeated. And then he would review and and see if they could improve uh, one more thing, avoided negative language, things like that. So that's a really interesting uh, concept. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I have one other question for you. What motivates you? What's your win in your sales? What keeps you going? Because I know running a consultant agency is not easy. What keeps you going? For me, motivation tends to be enthusiasm for learning really more than anything. Like going into something new and like exploring. I, I see it more as exploring even than learning. With a consultancy, there's always so many different, it's never the same. You know, there's always some other challenge. and. That's one of the reasons I've loved being, you know, a consultancy owner for so many years. You're never dealing with just the same stuff over and over. So I would say it's really about the exploration that happens and just loving code and talking shop and being around great people. To me, that continues to to motivate me. I love that. Do you have anything that you like to promote personally, Infinite Red, anything? Well, Infinite Red, of course, if you're looking for React Native, uh, we are all senior level React Native developers. We've been working together for a long time. So big companies, the biggest ones you can think of, many of them have hired us to you know, be the experts with their team. We usually put two or three people on a project and then the, the client will come in with two to 10 people or whatever they have on their side. And, and we work with them side by side, teaching them as well as delivering code. So that's really our bread and butter. We also put on the biggest and I think only US-based React Native conference. And it's called Chain React. It's in Portland. Next year, it's going to be in July. So go check it out, chainreactconf.com. We'd love to see you all there. I'd love to see you there, Will, and network with all these different React Native developers. There's people from Meta and Microsoft, Amazon, all over the world, really. And they're some of the best React Native programmers you're going to ever meet and some great talks and great food and a great city. Yeah, I would love to be there. Let me ask you this. How is Portland in July? Portland is amazing in July. Sometimes it can get hot, but for the most part, it's just beautiful. It'll be like 85 degrees, not really any humidity, nice little breeze. It's just a beautiful weather pattern uh, around July-ish. That's why we chose that time of year. So definitely, if you're going to be coming to Oregon, Portland, you know, West Coast, uh, July is a great time to come. It's not going to be super, super hot usually. Sometimes, I mean, we, we get over 100 sometimes, but no worries. You know, it, there's AC as well. But for the most part, it's beautiful. You sold me already. So I live in <laughs> South Florida. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be different in South Florida in July. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been an amazing chat and just great getting to know you and learning more about Infinite Red. Thank you for being a part of the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me, Will. It was a lot of fun and, and you're a great host. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You can subscribe to the show and find notes along with a complete transcript for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at host at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at Will23Larry. This podcast is brought to you by Thoughtbot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
Did you know ThoughtBot has a referral program? If you introduce us to someone looking for a design or development partner, we will compensate you if they decide to work with us. More info on our website at tbot.io slash referral, or you can email us at referrals at thoughtbot.com with any questions.